Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Good morning, Bible Center Church. I am Pastor Mike Graham. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I am the pastor of discipleship and multiplication here at Bible Center Church. We're so glad you're here. Uh, TV family, we're also so glad that you are here. So as the pastor of discipleship and multiplication, there's a couple things I'm thinking about all the time. One is how do I help you grow in your love for God and your knowledge of his word? Because those two things are interconnected. How do I help you grow? But also being the pastor of multiplication, I have to also think through How do you then take what you're learning and pass it on to someone else? That's how we're designed to function. We grow, and then we pass on what we learn to others. So I have to think about both things, and I want you to always be thinking about both things. How am I growing in Jesus, and how am I helping the people around me also grow in Jesus? Often what we're given is what we're called to pass on. Before we jump into our content, I have an announcement for you. On September 17th, we're having a membership night. Uh, Bible centers had a lot of newer folks jump in in the last 20 months. And if you're here and you're ready to find out a little bit more about Bible Center, if you want some personal time to ask some questions, this is the evening to come. Coming to membership night doesn't mean that you become a member right away. It's like the first step. And it doesn't commit you to anything. I'll be there. Pastor Matt Friend will be there. It'll be a great time for you to hear more about the vision of Bible Center and for us to get to know a little bit more about you. So if you would, just sign up online. We'd love to have some time with you, uh, as well for you who are at home. If you're ready to jump into membership, you can do that. We'll offer that also uh, online while we're offering it live, so it's available for everyone. We literally just had someone in the previous service from Uganda sign up to be a part of our membership class. The world has changed with an online ministry. So yes, you could also consider being a part of the membership here at Bible Center. So we called this series Start Again, right? Now, we named it several weeks ago. So when we named it Start Again, we were not fully aware that we would have this resurgence of COVID. So maybe if we knew that, we would have called it Here We Go Again or Not Again, but we didn't know that. So it's called Start Again. But regardless of the title, the content of the series is still super applicable, What we're calling you to, what we're calling ourselves to, is just a deeper re-engagement with Jesus himself, as well as a deeper connection and commitment to his church. And even if the world is on fire, those things continue to be important. So those are things that we're committed to. That's what we're going to talk about today and also next week. So I'll be honest with you, I'm going to push a little bit this morning. And oftentimes if I'm going to push people, I also like to pray for people. So let's pray again for a moment before we jump into the content. God, we're so thankful that you are here with us. And it's only because of your presence that we are changed. It's only because of you, Jesus, that we can be called sons and daughters. And we're a part of your family. But Lord, we don't always think through what it means to be a part of your family. So I pray this morning, through your word, through your presence, through the work of your Holy Spirit, that we would buy in even deeper to this idea of being your sons and daughters. That we would buy in even deeper to what it means to be interconnected with one another as part of the family of God. Truly, brothers and sisters, forever. So Lord, build into us and just convict us in Christ's name. Amen. So the content, kind of the takeaway, is going to be built on who God is and what he's like. So I'd like to start there this morning. When it comes to the Lord, there was a point in time before he had created anything. What in the world was God doing in eternity past before anything was created? What pops in your mind? 
So often, I think what pops in our mind is we imagine this old fella with this long beard just kind of stroking it, sitting on some big, big celestial log, twiddling his thumbs, just thinking, what am I going to do with myself? And I think we often imagine creation being something that God did out of loneliness, like, I'm so lonely, so I'm going to create someone to talk to. Or we think that it's just God didn't have anything to do, so he just created it out of boredom. But according to Scripture, the story is so much different than that. According to Scripture, God wasn't by himself sitting on a log. He is three. According to Scripture, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. According to Scripture, you can say the Lord God is one, and you can also say the Lord God is Father, Son, and Spirit. So of one essence, there's three divine persons. And yes, I don't fully know what that means, but Scripture is clear. So throughout all of eternity past, before there was time, space, or matter, God existed in community. God existed in family. There was never a boring moment. There was never a point where the Father and the Son, they looked at each other and said, aren't you sick of this Holy Spirit? Like they had perfect, beautiful community forever. They never got bored with one another. The joy that you experience in your most connected, intimate moments with people in your life, the Lord experienced that and so much more consistently, continually, for all of eternity. That's just his natural state of both joy and happiness and interconnectedness. That is simply who he is. And if that's true, then God did not create out of loneliness. God did not create out of boredom. He wasn't looking for something to do when he made you and I and the whole world. When he created, he created out of overflow, out of superabundance of his incredible love that he had for himself, for one another within the Trinity. So it's an overflow. God created out of grace and mercy and love, not out of boredom. He wasn't looking for someone to play with. He was looking for a creation that he could make that he could then draw in to be a part of this incredible community that he's experienced forever. So when we talk about this idea that you are a son or daughter of the king, he has invited you and I into this forever family that's been a part of the Lord himself for all eternity. This incredible joy that he experienced, he's inviting you and I in to be a part of that forever, his forever family. So he created out of abundance. He created out of overflow. I want to go a little deeper with this. So when God created everything, including time, space, and matter, those are big things, right? When he made those things, he wasn't then bound by those things. By nature, he lives outside of those things. So say my son and I make like a cardboard fort in our living room. Just because we made a cardboard fort doesn't mean we now have to live in that cardboard fort forever, right? We can go into it. We can go out of it. We can do whatever we want with it. It's our cardboard fort. When God made time, space, and matter, by nature, he lives outside of it. He's equally present in the past, the future, and the moment now at all times. He's equally present on a galaxy, planet far away, and in the middle of an atom between the nucleus and the electrons. His presence is everywhere at all times. He chooses to be a part of and to be acquainted with and to be intimately connected to his creation. So by nature, he's outside of his creation, but by choice, he's a part of it. Why does that matter? So when God made everything, his intention wasn't just to spin it up like a toy and just let it go off on its own. 
Like he wants to know what's going on. He cares about, he loves his creation. So when he made you and I, he made us with intentionality. Not to just to make us and let us go. It's not like he made a little ship and stuck it out in the river just to see where it goes. Or when you let a balloon, it just flies away. That's not what he did with his creation. He made it, and then he's intimately connected with it. He knows everything about you, about me, about everything taking place throughout all of creation, all the time, every moment. He loves it. He's a part of it. Scripture even says one day, God's going to take this world and remake it and renew it, and it will be a part of his forever kingdom. That's how much he loves his creation. So, we've connected a couple things here. One, God made everything out of an overflow, the superabundance of his love. Two, he chooses to dwell within his creation. Here's a third component I want us to think about. So, when he made you and I, he made us people in his image, which means there's an emotional component to who you are, a rational component to who you are. There's a spiritual component to who you are. There's a relational component to who you are. You're designed by nature to be relational just like he is. You're an image bearer of God. All those things are true of you. But we, as humanity in the Garden of Eden, through Adam and Eve, this good God, this loving God who made us to just give us grace and mercy and love, we looked at him and we declared war. We said, we're going to do it our way, and we sinned in the Garden of Eden. We declared a rebellion against the Creator Himself. That's what happened when we sinned. Well, Pastor Mike, I wasn't there. You and I still sin every day. You and I are a part of the rebellion. You and I are those who declare war against God Himself. That is us. That's our story. God could have stepped back and said, look, we made this. We just wanted to love you, and you broke it. You broke all of it. Deal with the consequences. That would have been fair. That would have been fair. He could have done that. It's his creation. We're his. But instead, he steps in, and Jesus, the Son of God, takes on human flesh. So Jesus, the Son of God, who also becomes the Son of Man, then dies on a cross. Why would he do that? Because according to Scripture, this war we've declared, this rebellion that's still active in our hearts, the consequence to that is that we then bear the wrath of God. There is punishment now and forever to bear the wrath of God against our sin. Spiritual, physical, forever death. So Jesus on the cross takes that wrath upon himself and it hits him square. And Jesus dies, rises from the dead three days later, and he offers forgiveness to all who believe. So what was once broken can now be repaired. Jesus saves. So God created all things. Sin broke all things. Our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, even the world itself. And Jesus says, I'm not giving up on this. I'm not done with this. I created these folks. I love these people. I love my creation. He steps in and bears the brunt of our rebellion. He steps into the war and takes the spear. And then he offers salvation to all who believe. So often when it comes to the gospel, we stop when it comes to the fact that we're forgiven. Jesus died that I might be forgiven. And that's terrific. It's beautiful truth. We could sing praises for all of eternity just because of that truth. But there's more to it than that. When he died on the cross, he died that you might be sons and daughters of the king. He died not just that you would be forgiven, but that you would be brought into a family. Hebrews 2.11, Jesus calls us brothers. 
In Hebrews 2.11, we are called brothers and sisters of Jesus. We are literally a part of the forever family because Jesus died on the cross in our place. So God created out of a superabundance of his love. Then he chooses to be intimately acquainted with and involved with his creation. And even when creation declares war on him, he says, I'm not done with you yet. And Jesus steps up and saves us and offers salvation to all who believe. So what do we have? We have a situation where God has done everything you can imagine to declare, I want to have community with you. I want you to be a part of my family. So when it comes to our big idea today, I'm starting with this. Simple. God created us for community with him. We are created for community with God. That's why we're here. Do you see all the things that he's done by nature and by choice and by sacrifice so that we could be a part of his family? So much, so much. So the next question is, how do we then jump into this community? How do we jump into this community? How do you and I get involved with being intimately acquainted with him and with one another. Like I mentioned earlier, we were made by God in his image. You're relational by nature, whether you like it or not. Like we tend to find a spouse. We tend to find hobbies that include other people. We tend to find fan bases and cheer together and scream together. Uh, You'll have golfing buddies. You'll have people that you play games with. Younger folks have gamers that they hook up with and play games online with. Our tendency is to be interconnected with other people. That's how we're made, that's how we are designed, and that's a good thing. But our tendency is not to stay in those things. We tend to live in our sin and our brokenness. Instead of going deeper, we tend to have our relationships fall apart. So let me throw out two things. I'm about to push you really hard at getting more connected with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to go there. I'm going to push pretty hard. But sometimes people put cards on the table that stop the conversation from taking place. I'm gonna take those cards off the table. In our area, I've heard multiple people say this, all I need is my family, I don't need friends. They throw the card on the table. Like, like it's like a stop card, it just stops everything, you can't go any farther. That biblically is not true. According to scripture, we do need our family, but we also need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're designed to have both in our life, And without both, we will not be who we're called to be. We need brothers and sisters deeply connected to who we are. We need both. So I'm going to knock that card off the table. We just came out of a pandemic. Perhaps we're going back into one. Who knows? But there's also a tendency within us to find connection through other means. Some of us spend time online, and we play games, and we think deep connection comes from just doing something with someone the scripture is going to describe more than just being active together. Sometimes just being super connected to social media feels like we're connected to one another. It's more than that. It's eyeball-to-eyeball conversations, heart-to-heart conversations. So it's more than that. So we're going to have to take those cards off the table. So let's just start fresh and have this conversation. Let's go back to the way God designed the church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41, 42, 43 on down, we see the church gathering together in the temple courts. And when they're together, they do a couple things. They sit under the teaching of the apostles. They pray together. They eat meals together. They break bread. They fellowship together. That's what we would call corporate discipleship. 
They're sitting under the teaching like you are right now. And my hope is that you're growing, you're being challenged by God's word, but it doesn't stop there. In verse 46, after they've spent time together, gathered, they then scatter and spend time together throughout the week, living also as the church in their homes. Not just as families, but as other families, together in smaller groups where personal discipleship takes place. So here, it's a one-way conversation. I'm talking to you. In those smaller groups, you have the opportunity to ask each other how you're really doing. You take what you've heard, you take God's word, and you apply it personally. And when you have those conversations, it creates accountability. With accountability, there's ongoing life change that we so desperately need. So there's corporate discipleship, and there's also personal discipleship. The church gathers together, and then the church scatters still together in smaller groups. Well, Pastor Mike, maybe that was just a one-time incident in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, some of the apostles are imprisoned, and they're nervous that the church is going to get scared. So once they're released, they go from house to house to check on the church, where the houses meet, where the church is meeting together in smaller homes. There's smaller environments where they're still deeply connecting together. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 20, Paul's been on a mission trip. He returns to Ephesus, and he goes to encourage and to challenge the church. And it says in 2020, he goes from house to house. This is an established church. It's been around for a while now. And the church is still deep, deeply connected, not just when they're gathered, but also when they are scattered. You are the church on Sundays. You're also the church on Mondays. You're also the church on Tuesdays. Every day of the week, you're designed to be the church and to function as the church. That's who we are, both gathered and scattered. So when we're in those smaller groups, those smaller moments, what are we supposed to do with them? How do they benefit us? I'm going to throw a couple different verses at you. From the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 1, it starts this way. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we do not drift away from it. What we have heard, what the apostles have been teaching, the gospel itself. We're called to know those things, to remember those things. Why? So that we do not drift away. There's a tendency in me, there's a tendency in you, whether you like it or not, for your heart to drift away. When you're not spending time thinking about the Lord, in the word of God, your heart will drift. If you look back through your life, you'll notice that. There's times when you feel a little bit more deeply connected to the Lord, and other times when you've drifted. We tend to drift. The Bible goes on to say this in chapter 3, verse 12, or verse 13, it says, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Why? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So not only does our heart tend to drift, according to scripture, that same heart tends to harden over time. We drift and we harden. The reason for why we harden, according to this verse, is because of the deceitfulness of sin. What in the world does that mean? There is sin in your life, there's sin in my life, in your mind and in your heart, and in my mind and my heart that we're completely unaware of. We are deceived by it. Sin can persist, and it can grow, and it can take over if it goes unnoticed. 
It deceives you into thinking it's not even sin. It's just the way I am. It's my personality. It's the way I like to talk to people. It's just the way I do things. I was brought up this way. No, sometimes it's sin. And if you don't recognize it as sin, you're stuck. It's got you rather than Jesus has got it. So, how do we fix it? The first part of the verse told us, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today. Did you catch the emphasis? The way we handle a hardening heart is encouragement. I encourage you, you encourage me. You encourage your sister in Christ and your brother in Christ and they in turn encourage you. There's this network of encouragement. How often does it take place? Day after day, as long as it's called today. In other words, every single day, you and I need to have these types of conversations with each other where I look you in the eyes and you look me in the eyes. We check on each other. How are you doing Have you noticed this part of your life? Have you noticed this part of your heart? Have you noticed your tone? Have you noticed the way you've treated this person? Why did you back out when you needed to step in? Why did you step in when you should have backed out? We have to have conversations with each other to push each other in areas of our life. That's what it's saying here. It's the type of conversations that take that deceitful sin and puts it on the table. If we can't have those kinds of conversations, we're going to get stuck We're going to get stagnant. We're not going to be who Jesus has called us to be. We have to step into those conversations, and those are hard conversations. How often should we be having those conversations? Day after day, as long as it's called today. Think about it. When was the last time you had a conversation like that? Have you had one in the last week? In the last month? In the last year? A lot of us, including this guy, have a long way to go to get where we are having those types of conversations all the time with the people in our life who know Jesus and love Jesus and are committed to us and we're committed to them. But we gotta get there. It's the scriptural mandate to protect us from a drifting, hardening heart. We need each other. So what that means is you and I have to be willing to have conversations that are hard. Conversations that are hard. Conversations where you're going to have everything inside of you is going to defend yourself. Everything. That can't be true. There's no way what you're saying is accurate. And you just have to let those things go down. And maybe what they're saying isn't accurate. But you invite it into your life. And when you find someone who's willing to have a conversation with you like that, you don't let go of them. They're a treasure. They're a diamond in your life. Find people like that in your life. Here's a good quote from a guy named Tim Keller. If you're ever bored and not sure what to do, spend some time with Tim Keller. He says this, the biggest danger of receiving criticism is not to your reputation, it's to your heart because it tempts you to despise the critic. I see that in me. It's probably somewhere in you. There's a tendency when someone does push you a little bit to think, You're the one with the problems. You're the one who's messed up. So instead of looking at your heart and saying, what's really going on inside of me? Our tendency is just to push people away, to get mad at the critic rather than get mad at our own sin and our own heart. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. 
In chapter two, verse one, it said, we need to remember what we've been taught. That's the same type of message you're hearing here. Let's hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering for or because he who promised is faithful. So the reason why we can hold fast, the reason why we can go without wavering is because of him. He is faithful. He did it. So yes, we just had a conversation about our need for one another, and I'm going to go there again. But ultimately, your salvation is not based upon your fellowship or community. It's based upon Jesus, the one who's faithful. But to grow and to be transformed and to be all that Jesus has called you to be, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate, spur, motivate one another on towards love and good deeds. So yes, I'm saved because of his faithfulness, because of him. He promised I'm good. But the same token, we're called into this life where we're interconnected with our brothers and sisters in such a way that I take time to consider how, to think through how, to spur, to motivate him and or her on to be more of what Jesus called them to be. The book of Ephesians says you were saved to do good work that he prepared in advance for you to do. It's my role to help make sure you do those by thinking through what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and what environment to say it, what verse to use, what book to encourage, what blog to suggest. So to consider how means that you have to slow down sometimes. Sometimes you just need to sit at your kitchen table, sit on your porch, slow down, sit and hang out with your spouse and just say, I want to encourage this brother or I want to encourage this sister, this friend in Jesus. What are your thoughts? How do I get better at doing this? There's no way we can live out Hebrews 3.13 where we encourage one another everything, every single day if our mind and our heart is not fully engaged into the process and we're considering, we're thinking through, how do we actually live this way? What do I need to say? So we have to step into that process. Some of you might be thinking, and I've thought this before, well, no one's doing that for me. No one's asking me good questions. No one's encouraging me. Be a leader. The verse doesn't say, be frustrated that other people aren't considering how to spur you on. The verse says, you consider, I consider. So we own what God's called us to own. And that's that we're the ones who are encouraging. We're the ones who are considering how to spur one another on, to motivate one another towards love and good deeds. Be the person that you want in your life. And you'll find those types of people start showing up in your life. Back in college, um, back in college, I was a little, I was a little, a little intense. Uh, some people think I, I, I was a little bit more intense in college. I've calmed down quite a bit. I was a little stringent in college. Uh, like I would literally keep track of every half hour because every half hour I wanted it to be for the glory of God. Did, was that half hour for the glory of God? No, I can do better the next half hour. Like there was a part of me that thought like that. I just, I just functioned that. Like, I, I wrote it down and I would track and I would judge myself. So I had this brother on a Friday night and I was sitting in the back, I was reading my systematic theology book, making the most of every half hour. He goes, dude, can I have a conversation with you? All right, um, I guess I'll put my book down. So I put my book down. So I go to have a conversation with him. He sits across the table, slides me a plate of food, and says, hey, we're friends, right? Yeah, dude, we're friends. 
you haven't sat there and talked to me. You haven't told me how you're doing for weeks. I have no idea what's going on in your life. I don't know what God is teaching you. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know anything about you. If we're friends, you're going to have to slow down and have a relationship. You're going to need to talk to me. And I'll be honest, at that point, that dude teared up. I teared up. Partly because of conviction and partly because I just realized this guy cared about me that much to slow me down. That would not have been an easy conversation. How often do you up to someone who's reading systematic theology and say, hey, come out here. We need to build a relationship. Put down your systematic theology book. That was not an easy conversation for him. But he cared about me and loved me enough to slow me down and to help me see my struggles, to help me see where I need help, to encourage me, to love me. He considered how... And then he did it. He even slid me some food. Who's going to be that person in your life? Who are you going to be that person in their life? That's where we need to get to. That's what God has called us to. We have to consider how to motivate each other. Let's do another verse. Hebrews 4. When I think about prayer... My tendency is to think about it in terms of me and the Lord. What do I need to talk to the Lord about? That's, just ten, that's how I tend to think about it. And there's a lot of passages that talk that way. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, I want you to hear it. It just sounds a little different than that. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. Did you see that? Us, let us go into the throne room of God, that we might receive grace and mercy in our time of need. That's what prayer looks like. Prayer also looks like sometimes it's got to be a team sport. There's a time of need. Someone's hurting. I'm hurting. You're hurting. She's hurting. You grab them by the hand. You pull them in with both arms, you get into the throne room, and you pray for each other. Lord God, Father, good God, she needs your help. Can you intercede? Can you intervene? Can you take care of my sister? Can you take care of my brother? This is what prayer also looks like, that you've got folks in your life where when things are off, you grab them and run into the throne room. When something's off about them, you grab them and run into the throne room. I know here, sometimes we'll have meetings and someone will share something hard. In that moment, we stop and we pray for that brother or sister. In our discipleship group, in our other groups that we're in, when someone shares something that's hard, we stop and we run into the throne room together looking for mercy, looking for grace in that brother or sister's time of need. Prayer is a team sport. We need each other. We fight for each other. That's how we live life together. Okay. So, a lot of roses. Like, so I just try to make community sound amazing. Like, if you have community, you're encouraged. People are considering how to spur you on. Life is great. Everything's easy. Everybody's praying for you. Let's be a little bit more honest. Community is probably one of the hardest things that God calls us into. Your family will love you and hug you and embrace you and punch you and kick you in the eye. It all happens at the same time. It's beautiful and it's painful. There's joy and there's woundedness. There's care and there's scars. As I look through my life, 
So my greatest moments and greatest times are with brothers and sisters in Christ going after it for Jesus, getting to know each other, going deep. And some of my hardest memories, my hardest times are very similar because you and I still struggle with sin. You and I still have defense mechanisms. You and I still have this tendency to hurt one another. Instead of being an open book, we're a closed book. And if you touch my book, I'm going to punch you in the nose. So there's still that tendency within us. So even when I talk about community, I don't want to paint it as like this rosy picture. It's all easy. Just step in, giggle, smile. Everything will be great. That's not what happens. Giggle, smile, get ready to take one in the face. And then you step in again. And then you step in again. And then you step in again. Because Jesus died on the cross that you might have that brother or sister in your life. In his goodness, he created all these things to be a part of his forever family. And I'm not going to let go of that family. Don't let go of that family. It's made and designed for you to be a part of it, to enjoy, to grow, to be all that God's called you to be. So you're going to take lumps and you're going to take bruises. And it's worth it. One day God comes back and it's all made new. We're being transformed every day, but one day it's all new. I have a completely restored relationship with the Lord. I sin no more. One day I have a completely restored relationship with every person in my life. Sins are gone. Suffering's gone. I struggle no more. No more lumps. No more bruises. The scars are gone. That day's coming. But until then, we persevere. We push on. So, God has invited us into his community. We're created for community with God and his family today. Not tomorrow, not next week. When I'm comfortable, I'll jump into community. I'll treat my brothers and sisters like true family at some point. No, it's today. So God has invited us into his community. What I want to do with you is I want to invite you, family here at Bible Center. I want to invite you in. The way we do it here is on Sunday mornings, we've got groups throughout the building. Right now, during this service, we've got groups in almost every single room meeting. If you have young kids, we've got a group for you. If you're a senior saint, we have a group for you. If you're an empty nester, we have a group for you. We've got groups here for everyone. And in those groups, we have intentionality. That when you walk in, you'll have the opportunity to meet new people, to develop spiritual friends. And over time, those spiritual friends become your brothers and your sisters, and they go to war for you. They ask you questions. They consider how to spur you on. But that's a starting point. So you start with courage. You walk in, you smile, you introduce yourself. If you're a group leader and you're here today, when someone new walks into your group, just a friendly reminder, they're the most important person in the room. You meet them, you get to know them. You're thankful they're there. So we need to be a church where we long for community and provide opportunities for it. So our groups are an opportunity for that. For some of you, you've had spiritual friends in your life for a while. It's time to have a conversation that matters. Some of you right now know there's conversations you need to have. Have them. This week, have them. Go a little deeper. Take the next step. Jump in like scripture calls us to. One more opportunity that's coming up. We have a pop-up group that's coming up. It's going to be for three weeks. It's literally going to pop up and go away. Michelle Thompson's leading it. She's an amazing teacher, incredible parent. If you'd like to jump into a group to connect, this is another way of doing it. We're going to be talking about that for three weeks. So jump into that as well. Another opportunity. So why do we connect? Why do we buy into this? Why do we take the lumps? Because God in his goodness and grace made us 
and designed us for community with him and with one another. And when we live that way, we're all that he's called us to be. Let me pray that we have courage to do so. Father, we come before you and you are so good. We can call you Father because Jesus has saved us. And through this incredible family of faith, you can transform us. And one day, Lord God, you make all things new, all things our relationship with you, our relationships with one another, completely restored. I cannot wait for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But in these moments between now and then, give us courage to have conversations. Bring names and faces into our mind, the people that we need to live life more deeply with. May we be interconnected and interdependent on one another as brothers and sisters, part of our forever family. We trust you and we love you, good God. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.